Welcome to the Farming Basics Podcast with Olivia Fuller. We'll have sustainable farming tips from growers across the state and extension specialists at Auburn University. Hello, it's Olivia Fuller here. And Jacob Kelly, and we're both here with Dr. Camilla Rodriguez. She's our assistant professor of horticulture at Auburn University and one of our food safety specialists. Welcome, Camilla. Thank you for having me here today. Yeah, we're glad to have you. So we're going to talk a lot about water quality, and she's on our commercial horticulture team as well. So Yes, correct. And I'm also in the food safety and quality team. Perfect. So we're going to talk about how water quality relates to vegetable growers. Why is that so important? Yeah, well, water quality and water testing, this is the how you get to know the quality of your water, the microbial quality of water. So if we talk about the current regulation, the Produce Safety Rule, under FISMA and the FDA, uh, they currently changed the new, um, for a new regulatory uh, ag water uh, support. And because before they were, the regulations, they were, the regulation was around water testing. So growers had to build a microbial water quality profile based on wa- water testing, several water testing for surface water and groundwater. Uh, but there was the FDA stepped back. They collected more information information on research, and they came up with the proposed rule now for water, where they shifted the water testing for risk assessment, for a water assessment uh, plan where growers need to assess uh, the water system, whether it's a surface water, open environment, uh, whether it's a well, how the well is maintained, uh, how the water is applied to the field, overhead, drip, uh, crop susceptibility, so whether it's a leafy green, which is more susceptible, uh, or if you are growing above ground crops, uh, and also land land use, so especially related to animals in the surrounding area. So it is uh, FDA uh, collected a lot of information and data, and they concluded that a lot of outbreaks that happened in the past were related to animals, livestock, mostly. So that is the biggest concern now. And water test became optional right now. So it is an additional to all this uh, assessment plan, water assessment plan. So, but then growers, for growers to certify that they are doing all the assessments and they need to take corrective actions or not, testing their water, it is very important. Uh, So, and then testing their water in the right time. So in the growing season, so before using the water, they should be testing to know what the quality of the water is. They should be testing around the growing season too. And most importantly, before harvesting right at close to the last application, water application. So they, they certify that the water was, uh, it was in a good microbial quality. When I say microbial quality, we use generic E. coli as an indicator for microbial quality. Okay, so they do all their testing and things like that, Um, you know, and they're doing their soil amending and they're getting ready for their growing season. What are some biological soil amendment practices that you recommend so that 
Um, they don't cross over any of those biologicals into that water supply and then contaminate their crops later on. So most importantly, uh, we tell growers if they want to use biological soil amendments of animal origin, they should properly treat the manure, the soil amendment. When I say properly treatment, it's a composting following a validated, scientific validated procedure. And then, then to avoid cross-contamination in the fields too, if their growers are doing this on the fields, uh, keep those uh, composting, those piles away or far from uh, areas that could happen runoff and could contaminate water sources, uh, could contaminate fields, produce fields, and keep them segregated from uh, raw manure to compost. So if you have mixed them up, then you consider everything that is contaminated that is considered raw manure. And when we're talking about raw manure, is it poultry, cow's manure, or agricultural teas, uh, or any food, uh, fish emotion as well. So most of the things that you avoid contamination in the field, especially and if you're applying manure in the field, compost, uh, if you're applying treated, properly treated compost on a produced field, the FDA, the produce safety rule, says that you can you don't need to follow a harvestable time period period after application. Uh, you can apply today and harvest tomorrow, let's say. But if you're using raw manure, the FDA recommends not using. But if you're using, they don't have a recommendation from time application and harvesting. But what most growers use is the requirements recommendation for National Organic uh, Program, which is 90 days of application if you are applying um, on, the, on, the, on the crop that is not going to be touching the soil or 120 days if you're applying on a field that the crop uh, or the harvestable portion is, is likely touching the soil or the ground. So 120 days to 90 days for hot poop. And then when we're talking about composted manure, uh, we can throw that out the day before. And as long as it's not coming into contact with our harvestable product. Yeah, so, so if, it, if it's properly treated, it, was, it has been treated to reduce to a certain uh, safety level to be used in the field. So it needs to be properly treated. So when we talk about compost, uh, growers need to understand that uh, piling or aged stocked pile is not composted, is not treated. They need to follow a validated, validated procedure uh, with the turns, the adequate temperature and all the records to make sure that it was properly done and properly treated so it can be safely, safely applied to the fields. So if I buy composted manure from someone else, is there a certification or a form or should I just take their word for it? You should have a, you should ask for a certification from, from the supplier that you are buying. Uh, so whenever they come to your farm, you know, to look at the records, you have a certification from your buyer that you are buying a compost that has been properly treated. So they need to have the uh, name of the procedure and then all the validations that it is it was properly composted. So what if they get like chicken litter, for example, that's not been composted, that doesn't, that has not been composted and hasn't had time to be? And you should treat it as a raw manure. And that means waiting the 
190 days. 190 days. Okay, yes. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. Because um, I think this is very timely that we're doing this uh, with fertilizer prices being so high right now. Yeah, everybody's but wanting compost. But so. then one thing we say is that those 120 days to 90 days is not a food safety uh, requirement. It's not a food safety uh, thing. It is the National Organic Program that dictates that. And, and the FDA is still working on collecting information and data regarding time of application and harvesting. Because there are several research and studies that demonstrated that salmonella and other pathogens can persist in amended soil for as long as 20 to 100 days or more. So that is something to think about when you, if you are using raw manure. So my recommendation, personally, as a food safety specialist, I would say apply compost. Right. Treated manure. Right. right. Yeah. It, it just seems to be so hard to find right now with the fertilizer prices being so high. Everybody's buying up the compost and it's a very sought after commodity right now, really. And we so, have abundance. Yes. In the state. Yes. Yes. But yeah, it just needs to be safely treated and applied. Okay. Um, my next question is kind of taking us in a different direction, but something that I find very exciting with my work on pollinators. What is something that you emphasize when talking to a farmer about developing an on-farm conservation plan? So what many people think and used to think in the past is that conservation practices and farming uh, management practices were uh, not aligned with food safety practices for a while, especially when we talk about wild animals and vegetation around uh, water sources or around fields. And several studies have came up in the past years and confirming that conservation practices are, in fact, aligned with food safety practices. So not saying that you need to do only focus on conservation or only focus on food safety. You need to have a balance between conservation and food safety. So as an example, if you remove vegetation around water sources, um, that could be a problem for water sources. It could increase contamination in water sources because if you are those vegetation around water sources, it can filter some runoff and then keep prevent water from getting some contaminants that will come with the, with with regular rainfall. Is this what we call buffer strips? Yes, correct. So, but sometimes growers will remove vegetation around around the around the the water sources to prevent attracting animals. Sometimes it can attract more animals. If you have a, a, a open field, you can animals will come easily and get into the water or get close to the water and then we contaminate as well. But it, it, it works as a, like a buffer, as a filter. Uh, when you're talking about this, the uh, wind breaks around the fields, they could help prevent aerosols from, from coming from animal operations that are closed, maybe not on your operation, not in your farm, but on your neighbors, and come into your field, in an open field. We are talking about an open field. So that could also uh, work as a barrier. Um, let's talk about pollinators. So when you are tracking pollinators, we are tracking uh, native species. So 
few studies have came up recently showing that native birds harbor carry less pathogens, human pathogens, than migratory birds. So when you have native birds and you have native native insects and species, they help to keep away some of the migratory and non-native species. So it has been also studied and then it's been shown that they carry less pathogens compared to uh, migratory birds or migratory species or non-native species because they tend to uh, to be closer to animal operations and if they come in contact with animals livestock and then can be they can contaminate fields when they come close when they when they fly when they the defecate around and then that 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 could that could be a problem and that's very exciting to hear because we're working with farmers Camilla and I have actually started a pollinator program where we can go and help you on your farm if you want to implement some of these native habitats and learn how to plant for pollinators because they do they have so many benefits beyond just the obvious ones you it even goes into the food safety realm yeah absolutely so it's one way i think we we here in alabama we are very um uh, attracted to 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 the the conservation practices, and we promote that. Uh, Christine Woods, one of our, our regional extension agents, she has a project. It is an amazing project they call Farm Innovation Project. That they talk about a lot about of conservation practice that that we can that growers can do on the farms and how to get resources through through NRCS. And I think that's um, and then, but that is a, is an interesting uh, program, and and it is attracting a lot of growers and a lot of attention to you. So, I'm a grower. I haven't been taking water samples from my surface pond, my surface water. Um, how do I go about doing that? How do can I just take the sample in a regular water bottle and send it off to a lab somewhere? How does that process work? That is a great question. So to align with that, I will tell you that fortunately we have set up a program. You're setting up a program this year that's called Ag Water Safe Program that we will be offering growers, uh, produce growers, uh, free water testing and technical support if they want to test their water whether they have surface water or groundwater. So for girls that want to test their water, the lab or us, but if they contact a, a, a certified lab, for example, they will provide the bottles. So it needs to be a sterile bottle. So it cannot be a water bottle that you get at home. Uh, and they will give instructions on how to collect the sample. So it needs to be a representative of sample, so 100 mils, around a 100 mils sample. They will be shipping to the lab, uh, ideally within six hours. But we know that this is not reality. So with, with what we say, we tell growers that collect your water on your day and, and then ship it overnight to the lab. And we also have a video on this, too. I wanted to plug to make sure that our listeners knew that we do have resources if you want to look up on, like, step-by-step on how to take that water sample. Yeah, absolutely. You can access on YouTube, uh, on Alabama Extension, Alabama Cooperative Extension System. You can find a small farm irrigation video series. 
is video six. You, there are instructions on how do you can do uh, sample your water. Um, I would say from a from a faucet. Uh, there are different other videos that you could look for uh, sampling testing uh, for sampling water from surface water, but it's basically the same procedure. So before uh, sampling your water and sending to the lab, give them a call and ask them if they're. Uh, prompt to receive your sample. Sometimes you know you don't know if they're overwhelmed, if they're closed next day, because the water would have to be analyzed within 24 hours maximum. So you get a representative uh, and a correct uh, number uh, back. Right. We need all that bacteria and all that to still be alive, and sh so it shows up on the test, right? Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to wait 48 hours or, or more because you don't. You don't get a, uh, um, a valid test back. So you and also make sure that you're not contaminating inside the bottle uh, with your hand. And if uh, if you find something, normally bottles come with a white powder or a tab inside. Don't take it out. Uh, don't toss it away. It is just uh, a chemical to preserve water, uh, just leave it inside, collect the water, close it, put on our ice cooler, uh, and ship to the lab. That's great. Do you have any more questions for Was the new ag water rule that was proposed, is that applied to all water use? No. Yeah, that is a good point. So the new FDA proposed rule for ag water is just for production water. So for harvesting post-harvest water, uh, nothing changes. So it remains the same. So growers will have to do the microbial water quality profile and for um, groundwater. And if they use municipal water, just, just get a certificate for the municipal source. But the, the rule just uh, was proposed and modified for production water and not for post-harvest water. Thank you so much, Camilla, for coming in. This is very helpful for our growers. Yes, thanks for coming in, Dr. Rodriguez. It's always great to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a production of Alabama Extension at Auburn University.